to Genesis chapter 31. It's where we were last week. Um, but we are going to finish up that chapter today. Um, as we follow kind of the roller coaster of Jacob's life. And uh, today it's no less of a roller coaster. Okay, so. We're going to read the whole chapter just for context here, and so if you are able to stand up for the reading of God's holy word, uh, I ask you to do so. And we are going to begin in verse 1. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth What? from what we belong to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my fathers has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks born streaked or bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I had a dream in which I looked up and saw the male goats mating with the flocks, flock which were streaked and speckled or spotted. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flocks are streaked, speckled or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do you still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our fathers belongs to us and to our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on the camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, and all with the goods that he had accumulated in Padam Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to the shearer's sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all that he had and crossed the river. Crossing the river, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled, taking his relatives with him. He pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him. And Laban and his relatives camped there too. 
Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me? So I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maidservants, but he found nothing. And after he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched throughout everything in the tent, but did not find or found nothing. Rachel said to her, do not be angry, my Lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I am having my period. So he searched, but he could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime? He asked Laban. What sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I've been here for 20 years now. Your sheep and your goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by night or day. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years I was in your household. I worked for 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father the God of Abraham, the, God, the fear, and sorry, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me. You surely would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about these children they have borne? Come now, let's make a covenant between me and you and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took the stones and piled them in a heap and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sedutha and Jacob called it Galeed. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. This is why it's called Galeed. It was also called Mitzvah, because he said, May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, and if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though there's no one with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. 
Laban also said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is the pillar I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not go past this heap to your side, to your arm, to harm you, and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham, the God of Naor, the God of our fathers judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of, of the fear of the father, Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. And after they eat it, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. You can be seated. So for Jacob here, it had been a long, long 20 years. It had been a long season of miserable, hard labor for a man he barely knew. A man who constantly, we saw, as we just read, cheated him time and time again. Who changed his wages. Who deceived him. All he wanted was a wife. But you could say he got way more than he bargained for, both good and bad. And as chapter 31 begins, we see Jacob coming to the realization that it's time to get the heck out of Dodge. It's time to leave, like Pastor said, Santo said last week, while the getting is good. See, Jacob had heard Laban's sons complaining and saying, this guy has taken pretty much everything of our fathers. Maybe we should do something about this. And so Laban realizes that it's time to get out because God speaks to him in verse 3 saying, Now is the time. Return to the land of your fathers and your kindred. And then God gives him this promise that we have been looking at time after time in the book of Genesis. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you, Jacob, as you return home. Finally, Jacob probably thought, it's time for me to go home. Could you imagine being in a foreign country, in a foreign land for 20 years and not seeing home? Not having any communication? Remember, no cell phones, no emails, no text, no instant message, nothing, none of that. He maybe probably had no communication with his family. And while staying had many potential dangers, going back home maybe had even more. Think about the questions that might have been going on in Jacob's mind. Would Laban let Jacob go freely? Would Jacob have to leave empty-handed like he came? He came to Laban with nothing. Would he leave the same way? Would he have anything to show for his 20 years of hard labor? What kind of reception would he have when he came home? These questions all circling in Jacob's mind. And yet, even in the face of all these unknowns, he knows at this point that he must listen to the word of God. See, Jacob's not perfect, but he has learned a lot of lessons as we've been walking through his life. He knows that when God says to do something, that he must do it. And so when God says, return to the house of your father, then that's what he does. Despite all of his doubts, his fears and failures, despite all the things that have happened in the past, now he is putting his faith in the Lord who has taken him there the, thus far. It reminds me of the song that we always sing here. 
We've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in His holy word. He's never failed me yet. Can't turn around. We've come this far by faith. Jacob has been walking with God for a very long time. He has seen the Lord provide time and time again. And now when the Lord says go, he says, okay, I don't know what is ahead of me. I don't know what's behind me, but I'm going to trust the Lord and step out in faith. And yet there are several hurdles that he has to clear. There are obstacles before him as he returns home. Hurdle number one, his wives. After all, these are Laban's daughters, right? And we saw early on in the text, Jacob knows that Laban's not going to just let them go. He's worried about him cheating and even taking those wives back. Will they be ready to leave their father and their family? And really the real question is, will they be ready to leave the way that Jacob is about to ask them to leave? Because in verses 4 through 15, he now has to convince his wives that it's time to go. That their father no longer favors Jacob. He reminds them of the way that his father, their father, has treated them over the past 20 years. And now that God has given them a word to go home and to return to their land. You know, it's interesting that Rachel and Leah, the way that they respond, did you catch that earlier? It shows that they are more concerned with their inheritance, more concerned with the money that they are going to get than anything else. That's what they ask about. They say, where is my inheritance? My, my dad has taken away everything from us. But in the end, they basically say, whatever God has said to you, let's do it. Whatever God has said to you, let's go. And so they are there with him, and hurdle one is cleared, and that secret escape begins. Jacob and his family, and all that they had received from God's hand, now begin this journey back to Canaan, back to the promised land. Because remember, God had promised his people, Jacob being one of them, that he was going to give them a land and a people. By now, this people has been growing, as we have seen in this family. But now he's got to go back to the land. But Moses gives us this editorial comment here in verse 20. Look what he says. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. Some habits die hard, don't they? Jacob, the trickster, is back up to his same old tricks. Instead of leaving in a way where he told Laban what would be going on, he decided to trick him and to leave him secretly. So there would be no goodbyes or anything like that. That trickery, that deception popped its ugly head up. See, even though he had been learning and growing, he still struggled with sin just like you and I, right? We may have good days where we are, you know, fighting sin and we're following God and walking by faith, and other days where sin pops its ugly head up and we give in, just like Jacob. And at this point of the story, Laban has been playing a back seat in this story. But now he comes to the forefront because someone comes and tells him, look, Jacob and his family are all gone. 
But thankfully, they have a three-day head start. And Laban was uh, in, the, in the field shearing his sheep. But when he was told, he was furious. Verse 23, it says, the chase is on. And it was a seven-day chase. Laban's anger is burning and boiling at this point. He is catching up to find these folks that have fled from his family. And we know that if it had not been for the Lord, according to La- who, who appeared to Laban in a dream, then he would have been in bad shape as well. Look at verse 24. Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So what was going on here? God was personally protecting Jacob and his family. Laban's not a believer here. Laban's not a Christian. He's not following the one true God. But God appears to him and says, look, don't you put a hand on my servant Jacob when you catch up with him. God was personally protecting Jacob and his family. But eventually the two would meet and hurdle number two would come before them. See, Jacob now must face Laban's wrath as a consequence of his trickery, as a consequence of his deception in the way that he left Laban's household. Remember, guys, our choices always have consequences. That's true of Jacob, and that's true of you and me, that our sinful choices will catch up with us and have consequences. We may be forgiven for those sins, which, thank God, we are through Christ and Christ alone, but sometimes our sin has consequences. For Jacob, it was this argument facing the wrath of Laban. In verse 26, he says, What have you done that you have tricked me and given away, or driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? So now we have to notice yet again the irony that the trickster can't stand being tricked. Okay? See, Laban was a trickster just like Jacob was a trickster. He was a deceiver just as well. And yet Laban has something up his sleeves. He goes on to what is surely a patronizing tone. He says, Jacob, why did you leave so soon? If you let me know that you were leaving, we could have thrown a party. We could have had music. We could have had dancing. I could have said, you know, goodbye to my daughters and my granddaughters the right way. And everything would have been great. Not likely. And his tone changes. You can almost see the facial expression turn sour and ugly. He says, but instead, Jacob, you did a foolish thing. Jacob, you did something nasty. I wanted to harm you. But your God got in the way. Interesting, isn't it, that Laban has this fear and respect kind of for God, but doesn't believe in him. He has encountered God in a dream, and God told him, don't you lay a hand on Jacob, and yet he doesn't really believe in God. Laban then asks, why did you leave and take everything, including my gods. Isn't interesting, huh? At this point, the tension is rising. Not only does Laban feel that he has taken, Jacob has taken away everything, but he also is now accusing Jacob of taking his household 
gods. Jacob knew he was guilty of leaving in the first way, but he didn't think that he had stolen anything from his house. But little did Jacob know that Rachel had stolen these household gods before they left. He told, he told Laban, he said, look, Laban, you can search my tents. You can search everything. Whoever has something of yours will be put to death. He didn't know his wife had taken those household gods. But Laban searches around and finds nothing. He doesn't find them anywhere. Why? Because Rachel hides them. Rachel hides them. She says that she's on her period and she can't get up to meet her father. And Laban was stumped. But Jacob had had enough. Jacob said, that's it. I am tired of your antics, Laban. And here comes hurdle number three. Jacob gives it back to Laban. Jacob is tired of his junk, tired of his arguments, tired of his deceiving. Jacob feels like he has been unjustly treated, and now it is time for Jacob to give it back to Laban. He says, verse 36, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? He goes on to say, For 20 years I have labored for you. And yet you have deceived me each time along the way. You've changed my wages. You've changed what you were going to give me as far as a bride. You've given me the wrong daughter. And now you accuse me of stealing? Think about how angry Jacob was. But instead of going on and on berating him, Jacob does something that I think the less mature, younger Jacob probably wouldn't have done the less godly version of Jacob wouldn't have done. He stops, and he says this in verse 42, which is surely the theme verse of this chapter. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. I wonder if we were there at that moment, would there be a silent hush over everybody there at that moment? If it had not been for the God of my fathers, if it had not been for him on my side. Jacob had been through a lot. He had seen his own ups and downs. He had seen his own faults, his own failures as a believer. And yet now he's acknowledging clearly before everybody there, if it had not been for God on my side, where would I be? And however short-lived this conclusion and conviction would be for Jacob, it was a beautiful lesson that he had learned from God time after time. And now, as he is faced with something that could screw him up, something that would get him even more angry to do something sinful, he restrains himself because of God's work in his life. And at this point, it seems like Jacob had cleared all of the hurdles, at least for the meantime. The tension in the story kind of subdues for, for a time. Laban, realizing that Jacob is right, he says, okay, let's make an agreement, therefore. Let's make a covenant between you and me. But Laban, the same old trickster, 
He probably has a little bit less wind in his sails now. But he decides, look, I've been beaten at my own game. Now I need to go home. But before I go home, let me make this covenant between you and me. You stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. God is our witness. Jacob is a changed man by the grace of God. Not perfect for sure, right? We've said that time and time again, but changed by the grace of God. He had seen God's hand in his life one more time, afresh and anew. And at this point in his pilgrim journey, he had his eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. The God who was with him all the way. You know, you and I have a similar pilgrim journey. We talk about this analogy because the Bible talks about it a lot. You and I are on a journey from here to heaven. Right? If you've ever heard of that story, the Pilgrim's Progress, right? That's the whole story about his way from becoming a Christian, getting to that celestial city in heaven. But you and I are on a journey, and we have journey, we have traveling companions together as we are journeying towards the real promised land, which is heaven. There we know we will be with God forever. We will be in his presence. All this pain and all this hurt that we shared in our prayer time will be done away with. And we will be with God forever. But as for now, you and I are on a journey. And just like Jacob's life and his journey is made of highs and lows and ups and downs, ours is too. Times that you and I walk by faith, times that we walk by sight and by fear. Times that we forget about all the lessons that God has taught us and we go our own way. We indulge our own pleasures our own sinful desires. And then again, there are some times where we do not and we walk by faith. In this journey, many of us have left friends and family. We have left comforts of this world because we are headed towards the true promised land. Thank God he has provided traveling companions like we have here at our church. But I believe that this story of Jacob's escape reminds us of a few things. It reminds us that as Christians, we are to continue to learn that God always keeps his promises to protect you and me, to provide for you and me, to personally guide us along this journey, even when there is real danger in our face. Some of you may be facing very real danger. It may come from within it may come from without. This danger may be very real to you, and yet you need to believe that God is the one who is protecting you, who is providing for you, who is personally with you time and time again. So as we come to a little bit of a close here, I want to offer two important lessons for us. The first one is this that comes from the theme verse, verse 42. If it had not been for the Lord on our side, where would we be? Think about that question for a minute. If it had not been for the Lord on your side, working in your life, where would you be? Jacob struggled most of his adult life with taking things into his own hand, taking his, his own deceptive plans and trying to put them into work. And yet in chapter 31, he realizes, where would I be without God? 
God was the one who was with him through it all. God was the one who provided for all his needs. God was the one who protected him, who went to his enemy and said, don't you lay a hand on Jacob. What credit credit could he take? Seriously, what credit could Jacob take for all that had happened? And how true is this for you and for me? If it had not been for the Lord on our side, where would we be? It's a good exercise for us to do sometimes. Sometimes I I catch myself thinking, okay, how would I have handled this situation? How would I have handled this hard time or this circumstance if it had not been for the Lord on my side? But you know, to be honest, it's something I can't do for very long because it is so depressing. It is so discouraging, so scary, so wicked to think about where I would be if it wasn't for the Lord in my life. And yet it's important for us to do from time to time. Think about that as we learn from this life of Jacob. But also, on the flip side, we can think about who we are because of Christ in our lives. That's the positive, right? Not just the negative, but also then go to the positive. Who are we because we have Jesus in our lives? Like Jacob, we're not perfect, but we are radically different people because we have Jesus in our lives. Amen? It's a beautiful thing for us to think about. The second lesson here, briefly, quickly, is that the one true God needs no protection because he is the one who protects all. If you paid close attention to our story here with Jacob, you might have seen this. It seems pretty clear that God is making a contrast between the one true God and the false household God of Laban. Think about this for a minute. Laban had some type of respect for God, we said earlier, but he didn't believe in him in the biblical sense. It wasn't his personal God. He didn't have true faith in in God. And then we found that here in verse 19 that Rachel stole Laban's household God. Now, we don't know why she stole that household God. It could have been out of spite, saying, you know what, my dad took everything else from me. I'm going to take what's most important to him. It could have been maybe as a backup or as insurance if things went south with their escape. Or it could have been that she still had one foot in one world and one foot in the other world. She was straddling the fence, as it were. In one sense, she was believing God of the Bible, but in the other sense, she was still holding on to her past idols. She would have grown up in this household. Those would have been her gods. But nonetheless... She took them. And what is interesting here is that these idols, these false gods, were inferior to the one true God in every way. They needed to be protected. Do you notice that? She puts them in her own saddlebag. They need to be protected. They need to be hidden. And they are powerless to help. Not true of the one true God. The one true God is the one who does the protecting in this story. He is the one who reaches out to the enemy of Jacob and says, don't you lay a hand on Jacob. He is the one who protects and provides because he alone can. These fake gods, these false gods, they can't do that. So it would be good for us to think about how maybe even we find ourselves 
in this boat? Are we trusting in the one true God to protect us, to provide for us, to be with us? Or do we have that one foot in one world, one foot in the other? Are we straddling the fence? It's a question for each of us to think about. Because any other God than the one true God, by very nature, is an idol. By very nature, can't do what you want it to do. Whether that idol is a figurine, like which probably would have, would have been for, for Laban, or whether it's something else. Your success, or your career, or your spouse, or this, or that, whatever it may be that would be your idol. It can't deliver what you want it to deliver. Only the one true God can. It's what we learn here from this text. We have been journeying along with the life of Jacob, and we have seen a man not perfect, a man that is full of faults and failures, and yet God, by his grace, continues to help him each step of the way. He sins. He comes to that point where he can confess of his sin before the Lord. He fixes his eyes on God and keeps going as he is on that pilgrim journey. The question before you and me this morning is, will we follow his footsteps? Will we, though we are sinners, though we mess up, keep our eyes on the Lord and keep on that pilgrim journey? Keep on that narrow way. That is the call for each of us. But we have to remember that God is the one protecting us. God is the one providing for us. He's got this. The same God that has saved you from your sins, he will carry you through all the way to the end. I rely on that truth so many times because I know that in and of myself, in and of ourselves, we won't make it to the end without his help. He is the one that will carry us through our race to the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Genesis 31 is a beautiful reminder, maybe not a reminder that we've even seen before. Maybe we've just skipped over it lightly or read it very quickly before in our lives, but thank you for helping us to slow down this morning to see that we are on a pilgrim journey. This is not our home. God, forgive us of the times that we forget that. We are all prone to forget that this is not our home. We're prone to take our eyes off of you and put them back on our idols that we had before we were Christians. Sanctify us, Lord. Purify us. Cleanse us from such wickedness, Lord. And turn our eyes afresh and anew back onto you. And help us together as the people of God to keep on that path, to keep on that narrow way. Thank you for guiding us protecting us and providing for us and being with us. You are the God with us that will carry us through all to the end. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise because you are the greatest. We love you and we thank you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would stand with us.